welcome to From the Booth, a podcast where we talk about the films playing at International Cinema at Brigham Young University. This podcast is for week five of BYU's fall semester 2022. I'm Mark Olivier, co-director of International Cinema, and I'm joined today by Dr. Sarah Phoenix, assistant professor of French at BYU. Dr. Phoenix received her PhD in French literature at the University of Pennsylvania. Her work looks at the intersection of fashion, fiction, and femininity, mostly focusing on late 19th century France. She's currently working on a project about fashion, fiction, and fertility politics. And I'm happy to say that she is one of my colleagues in the French and Italian department. Welcome, Professor Phoenix. Thank you for having me. We are talking today about a movie by Lois Weber who wrote, she produced, she acted, she pioneered film techniques, she ran her own studio, and yet she died in 1939, broke, forgotten, only a more recent discovery. I think sometimes people are surprised to find out the extent to which women were involved in Mm -hmm. silent cinema. Another big figure from the same period, the early 20th century, was Alice Guy Blachet that we showed a documentary about last semester, but this time we have this film, Shoes, from 1916, and it's just a really interesting and very modern story. Could you talk a little bit about maybe how that played socially on a broad level, its general topic? And by the way, we're going to have some spoilers here. That's just (laughs) inevitable. So if you want, hold off until you've seen the movie. But um, yeah, could you maybe set it up for us a little bit? Sure. It is really with the advent of shopping culture and just kind of rampant consumerism that the industrial revolution leads to. And so it's a very clear economic model of the department store of all of the offerings and that the department store that you could find at the department store. And there, there's a famous French novel called The Ladies' Paradise. It was made into, I believe, a a BBC series. Hmm. And they think it's in London where that TV show takes place. But there are similar things happening in Paris and London. I believe the population of Paris doubles over the course of the 19th century. And in London, it triples. Whoa. Right. So you have this huge influx uh, to these urban centers. And this is exactly what we see in this movie. And when you have all of these young people, right, and these families in the city, they are enlisted to further the cause of these new capitalist ventures. Yeah, like I I think about how, you know, what women's work looked like in the 19th century Mm -hmm. and how you might have been, for example, once sewing machines were invented, you might have been in there sort of mass labor sewing things. But this department store space is fairly, is a fairly new phenomenon there, right? So what did that mean to somebody working there? Like what type Mm. of person worked there? How was it received publicly? I don't know. Mm. Any thoughts on that? So it's, it's fascinating. If we look at Emile Zola's novel, The Ladies' Paradise, we see that the, the female workers actually lived on the premises and Mm. there were dormitories for them and they had very strict rules about who could visit and who couldn't. And their, their lives were really completely owned by the store. Mm. And it's really all girls who come from the province to Paris Mm -hmm. to work, to earn money, 
to support their families, either the children that they have or the families they grew up in. And it's fascinating because it is a very specific moment in time, Mm -hmm. right? Where the department store really gets going. And in Zola's novel, is depicted as this behemoth that consumes all of these specialty boutiques around mm-hmm. it. And so it's- It's, it's the Amazon of completely. the 19th century. It overtakes all the small businesses, becomes the center for everybody. It, yeah. Exactly. It is, yeah, Walmart in the 19th century. And it just, mm-hmm. in fact, it called a machine, it's called a monster, but it is an unstoppable force of modernity. Hmm. And, uh, and a new way to do commerce. And the reason the department store is so successful is because it can sell goods that are of comparable quality to mm-hmm. the boutiques, but for much less. So what I find interesting is here you've got this story. There's this shop girl named Eva, and she's the only one working in her family. Mm-hmm. Talk about how that dynamic mm-hmm. uh, plays out. Yeah, the, the film really shows that the villain in this movie right, is poverty, mm-hmm. but more specifically, it's this father who is completely derelict right, in his duty yeah. to support his family. And the mother is constantly working, but she's working within the home. Mm-hmm. And that still is unpaid labor. Right? right. She's working. He is literally smoking his pipe mm-hmm. in bed, reading books. Right. So it really is this kind of deadbeat dad scenario. Totally. And she's out there slaving away. Now, the title of the movie, I love because I'm really interested in how objects are used in cinema. And this is one of our themes is all about objects for international cinema Mm -hmm. right now. The idea that shoes become Mm -hmm. the central focus of this. How is it that this particular object gets starring credit, I guess, Mm -hmm. by being the title of the movie? Well, you see a sewing machine in the family's apartment and you see Eva pin her skirt, right, at a mm-hmm. certain point. And so how I would interpret that, she does cut up cardboard to try to fill the holes in the soles of her shoes. Mm-hmm. But this is not something that they can patch over, really, right, in any kind yeah. of effective way where the clothes, right, they can maybe make them stretch a little further. Uh-huh. Shoes are also like a means of mobility, Mm-hmm. Right? And for the most part in the film, right, the father stays confined even to just his bed, yeah. not even talking about the apartment. Mm-hmm. His stasis in that way mm-hmm. is what's preventing the family's uh, social and economic mobility. We see these in the fantasy sequences mm-hmm. where she thinks about what her life could have been had she had a father who was hardworking and who yeah, did she's, his duty. She's really angry at her dad. There's there's an intertitle at one point that says, as her father lay sprawled on the bed, and it mm-hmm. talks about how she wishes that he would get a job and under the lash if necessary. Right. So strong feelings about the dad not really doing his part. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, these shoes are decaying. And so it seems like there's something about the disintegration of the family structure that's mm-hmm. playing out in this, within this modernity that mm-hmm. has a woman working outside the home. And the shoes are in the store window. You see her mm-hmm. pining after them multiple times, just looking at these shoes. And like you said, I mean, it's, mobility is a big issue mm-hmm. here. And then the idea of repairing and these holes in there, it seems like it also plays into it, right? 
Absolutely. What do you think about that? Absolutely. You see her become really ingenious with the way that she modifies her clothes and she tailors yeah. her clothes, right? To Early 20th century life hack. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> cut a cardboard box and make right. it an insole. Yeah. Like Project Runway, uh, yes. but just tragic. Unconventional challenge. Right? Just yes. tragic the entire time. Yeah. The shoes just kind of, they become this classic right, fetish object mm-hmm. right over the course of the 19th century. Right. But what's so haunting to me also when we see these scenes at home mm-hmm. is Eva is the oldest of four daughters. Mm-hmm. And the implication for me when I watched it was if Eva doesn't do something about this, this is the fate, right? That just awaits uh-huh. her younger sisters, right? There are no men in the house. There are no sons, right? right to step into that role. And so it's not as if she's trying to be transgressive right in any way she has no other choice right and yet she's eve she's eva right she is the first daughter and so what is this choice i mean how how do you see the parallel Mm -hmm. between adam and eve and eva in this Mm -hmm. story it's a reluctant entry into a world where sin exists Mm -hmm. i would think that and it's just the the compromise that she is absolutely forced to make. And the filmmaker, that point of view is very clear. It is very non-judgmental. And that's like, yes. that's one of the fascinating contrasts to me because we we see this very specific moment in time and the history of capitalism. Mm-hmm. But also these are choices. I mean, there's a reason that prostitution is called the world's oldest profession. Mm. Right. These are kind of the desperate situations that women since time immemorial, right? We see this in the scriptures Mm -hmm. a few times, desperate women who do not want to take these paths. Right. But because of financial precarity are forced to do so. Right. And her, I mean, she can't go to work barefoot. So this desperation, it's like this dissolving of the thing that is allowing her to work and the next step like you say could be prostitution right how many other you know jobs are there i mean we thought everyone knows les mis and right. fontaine and this type right. of, of journey that can happen right you go mm-hmm. from factory to street right. and so here you have her being the working girl to maybe potentially a different kind of working right girl. so um, and that's yeah. actually historically supported because in the 19th century in france and i would imagine it's you know, similar in other Western metropolises is that the line of distinction, of demarcation between working in a department store or working as a laundress, department store is higher on the totem pole, right, than actually being a laundress. But many women were forced to supplement their earnings, right, at their legitimate jobs Mm -hmm. with sex work, with prostitution. Yeah. So speaking of earning the living in a more licentious way mm-hmm. in the plot here, we've got her fellow, her coworker, right? This woman who's already basically got a sugar daddy. Right. right? And she even tells her, you know, Hey, I've met this guy. He was mm-hmm. interested in you. So it does seem to be, you know, it talks about the, this idea that, you know, she's going to potentially sell her. She sold herself for a pair of shoes. I think uh-huh. that's part of the story that we're telling. So there is a spoiler given at the beginning anyway, but mm-hmm. how this came to be. So 
who does this man represent? You know, what is what what do you think about him as what is he like the serpent or something? Right. Is he what Yeah. He's know? the ultimate capitalist, right, in this movie and he's he's a performer. And so I can only imagine that kind of his rhetorical skill, his stage presence, but also his reputation, right? His charm mm-hmm. helps him convince women to accept the kinds of exchanges that he's offering. Yeah. And I mean, later in the movie, we see her coworker showing off a new watch that she mm-hmm. obviously got from the guy and mm-hmm. kind of prodding her along. Look at all the nice things that you get when mm-hmm. you're you know, willing to go down this path. And she's ultimately rejected at some point, right, where it just becomes too easy of an exchange mm-hmm. and where the, the vaudeville performer becomes interested in Eva and the exchange that happens between them is framed as much more reluctant right and we spend the entire film before them seeing all of the different ways right that she's victimized weber lays the fault of this sin at the feet of her father right i i think it's really interesting that weber is not really judgmental about it there's this really Mm -hmm. crucial moment where we see weber's innovative techniques by the way she's like one of the people that first did split screen She's done it in a movie where there are like three people on the phone at the same time and you see all of them speaking. That was brand new. Here you see her in bed, you see Eva in bed, just worried and agonizing. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side of the screen, you see her father who is just having a great old time smoking his pipe in bed and reading. Mm -hmm. She is tormented and then this giant hand comes down that's kind of uh, superimposed where the words all spelled out in capital is poverty. It almost looks like a tableau that would be like a political cartoon or something. You know, like what is she saying about about poverty Mm -hmm. in in this sense? Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, the hand of fate. I don't know what you want to call it, but this is something that is exterior to Eva, right? If people understood that she had to give herself to this man in order to get a new pair of shoes, Mm -hmm. there would be many people who would quickly judge her for that. Mm -hmm. And Weber is really effectively in that scene is to say, you know, this is an overwhelming force that is outside of the protagonist. Yeah, it's this gigantic, this idea that you're just in the grasp of complete poverty. I mean, she's already in it in a sense, but it, and she does, we see this painful deliberation going through mm-hmm. the whole thing. There is this shot that we use on the poster that's really iconic mm-hmm. of the mirror. What do you what do you think about mm-hmm. it? It's so beautiful. It's like mm-hmm. beautifully done, but also symbolic. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. She's looking at herself and there are a couple of different angles, I believe, that they show in the mirror. And mm-hmm. the mirror has a crack. And I would imagine, right, this is kind of the place where she's hesitating, where she is at the proverbial fork in the road Mm -hmm. and who's really trying to figure out which version of herself she wants to be. But ultimately, right, that fork in the road, it's an illusion. She has no choice. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's something that Weber has shown. She did a lot of work that was really controversial. She took on issues of basically prostitution, Mm -hmm. abortion, poverty, all kinds of things that were quite 
controversial at the time. Right. And um, well, and the, today remain controversial topics. It's very, very, you know, Absolutely. Uh, interesting. You know, at the end of the 19th century in France with the, the work that I have done, it's really exploring the circumstances that force women right mm-hmm. into these situations. And one of the major topics is infanticide. Mm-hmm. And historians of that period talk about infanticide essentially as delayed abortion. Mm. And a lot of the literature, so in newspapers and those kinds of political commenters, uh-huh. but also the novelists at the time are trying to show that we ask women to have a ton of kids mm-hmm. and to cultivate these happy, healthy families. But then we do nothing to take them out of poverty. We do nothing right. to help them realize that, and in fact, we force them by refusing them opportunity and paying them less than their male counterparts and all of those things. Right. And, you know, if we think of this movie as being a movie about desire, mm-hmm. then, and, you know, we have these things that are very familiar to all of us. You look in a store window, you see something, you want it, mm-hmm. you're lusting after, I got to have these shoes. Mm-hmm. I mean, her, she literally has to have these shoes. Right. But, you know, it's not just like, for a hundredth pair or something, she needs shoes. But that desire, her desire for this object that's like commercially mediated, mm-hmm. then you've got this kind of, you know, scumbag sugar daddy. Right. And it makes me think that his desire is for her as an object. Right. And it's almost like being able to objectify a human is a level of privilege that is reserved for men right. in this film because he gets to have that desire fulfilled in order for her to fulfill her desire right. for shoes. And his desire for her is also commercially mediated, yeah. right? It's a financial transaction. It is. Everything becomes transactional. Mm-hmm. And it really is an ugly side of capitalism that's revealed where the people are right alongside objects. Everything mm-hmm. is for sale. Everything is about money. Right. And yeah. this film, Terry Pratchett's novel, the, the example of um, why it's so expensive to be poor and yeah. the cheap boots versus the leather boots right, is you have to have the $50 to buy the leather boots, right, Mm -hmm. to have a pair of boots that will last you a long time, and that will be solid and not leak. Whereas if you can only ever afford to buy the cheap boots, Mm -hmm. you might just be paying $10. But they fall apart, and they leak. And we actually see a scene in this film Mm -hmm. where the water leaks through the cardboard of her soles. Yeah, exactly. And it just shows the poor person spends more money on boots over a certain period of time than the rich person does. Right. That's the tragedy is that it's like people might criticize consuming fast fashion today Mm -hmm. when the reality is that might be at the only price point that people can afford. Right. And, but it also might not be fast fashion for somebody Right. only in the so much as it falls apart more quickly. Exactly. So yeah, you really are caught in this level where there is no other choice. Right. This is all there is. And poverty is a hamster wheel, right? That you cannot get. It's not about making better choices. It's about having so few choices to begin with. This is something that remains culturally relevant more than 100 years later. Absolutely. Um, We still deal with this. We still deal with poverty. We still deal with the sort of evils that it can perpetuate in the world. I pictured, I guess I should say, going into this, oh, she sold herself for a pair of shoes. Mm -hmm. She's going to end up like... Fontaine or something. Right. She's going to be just destitute and it's going to be like, oh, this is so horrible. But 
the ending is not what one would expect. Right. Like, how does the mother treat it? Because I guess, you know, sorry, but we are going to reveal mm -hmm. spoilers here. After all of this long deliberation and all of these mm -hmm. things, she does come home with a new pair of shoes one day. And we all know what that means. And then right. the, the ironic twist, right, is that her father got a job right. that day. Right. It's like, no. Right. But it doesn't really end in a spiral to death mm -hmm. or anything. How mm -hmm. does it end? Essentially, your mother says, well, I'm not happy you did that, mm -hmm. but just don't tell your father. Because he'll kill you. Right. <laughs> right. And as if that father has the moral high ground on anyone, right. uh, especially anyone in that household, right, to actually be incensed about something like that. But that ending to me just demonstrates right how common this was mm -hmm. right this is not something that was an exceptional occurrence for poor women right right this was tragically a fact of life yeah for a lot of poor women and you don't have to be fontine who just kind of has a spectacular unraveling Right. To be touched by those kinds of circumstances. Yeah. I mean, and in fact, there's this, you know, odd parallel, I suppose, the tragedy, the fact that the filmmaker who made this and who had Absolutely. her own film studio ended up destitute, poor, unknown, mm -hmm. had this tragedy mm -hmm. and was a controversial kind of button pushing mm -hmm. figure that was very empathetic with the harsh realities of her time. Right. So I really, you know, I hope that we'll have a lot of people look into this, go to it, because it's such a modern mm -hmm. film. It's beautifully done. Um, mm -hmm. This is a restoration of the film. You may notice, people who are listening here, that when you see this, that it's tinted. And these silent films were tinted. It switches from a kind of yellowish tint to blue at times. And that basically is there to indicate that it's night. And in these cases, her going out at night is a bad mm -hmm. a bad thing but nice girls don't go out at night that's right mm -hmm. so you know hopefully this will entice people to see it or watch it again or appreciate that there are women filmmakers mm -hmm. attacking big social issues at a time but before i let you go mm -hmm. i'm gonna do some lightning round questions that we like to do just at the end with our guests so i'm gonna start with one that i know my personal preference on this you're in a movie theater okay you either get to choose somebody in front of you with their cell phone on, looking at their cell phone the whole time, or somebody behind you eating very loudly. Which do you have to choose? I have to choose the cell phone on because in movie theaters and in life in general, I really abhor mouth sounds. Uh -huh. <laughs> but also with the person with the cell phone, like you could airdrop them a passive aggressive meme and say, please put that back in your pocket. <sighs> That's good. Okay. Sorry. I go for the eating behind me. I can't take it. But I mean, they're all bad. It's right. really kind of, it's, it's a would you rather situation. Right, right. Okay. Do you have like a movie that you like mm. that the critics don't like? Yeah, this is probably kind of the hazy film of childhood nostalgia that, mm -hmm. that will Okay. Kind of explain my choice, but there is this ridiculous, campy movie from the 80s called The Last Dragon. Uh -huh. And it's a mashup of a few different genres, but it's mostly like a kung fu movie. Uh -huh. 
William H. Macy was in it. What? Um, Vanity <laughs> plays the female lead. Oh so that my gosh. Prince protege. Wow. Yeah, it's really a moment in time, and it is completely absurd. Okay, but... I have not seen it, so I'm gonna have to. I don't I'm know if I can recommend it, it but <laughs> it might explain, you know, something about nostalgic me. guilty pleasure. Totally. What's the genre of film that you're not into? I am going to say I, I've grown into this in the past couple of years, but the superhero genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got Marvel yes. overload. Yes, and I don't actually dislike the movies that I've seen. In fact, I think some of them are actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. But what I don't like about that genre is there doesn't seem to be any appetite or budget to make anything else. <laughs> okay. One last question. What's a movie that you've seen more than five times? I have a few that I see more than five times, uh-huh. but the first one that came to mind is a movie called Wild Rose. Mm. And it came out in, I think, 2019. And it is about a Scottish country singer. And it is such an understated, but just incredibly beautiful movie. It stars Jesse Buckley. And if you are a fan of country music or just good music in general, it is a really great film. That's good. It's good to have that recommendation. I mean, if you're willing to watch it multiple times, we should definitely mm-hmm. look into it. Well, thank you so much for enlightening our listeners with more information. It's been fun to talk about the movie. It's it's a really great thing that I think will surprise people who might just be used to Keystone Cops and right. old-timey <laughs> stuff. Well, thank you for joining us today on From the Booth. This podcast is produced by the International Cinema Program at BYU and supported by the BYU College of Humanities. We are solely responsible for the opinions and ideas expressed here as they do not represent any official position adopted by the university or its supporting institutions. We thank Hannah Guevara for her sound engineering and Johnny Stallings who composed our podcast soundtrack. Visit ic.byu.edu for upcoming films and showtimes. And until next week, keep seeing great international movies.